guys, I'm Ray Bella, and this is Words for Granted, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. If you love the show, you can show your support via Patreon. Just head over to patreon.com slash wordsforgranted or follow the link under the contribute tab at wordsforgranted.com. Every little bit adds up. Really, for just a buck or two a month, which is less than what you'd pay for a bad cup of coffee, as you all know by now, you'll gain access to contributors-only bonus episodes. Not only that, but you get to walk away knowing that you're helping to sustain the output of this independent show. Last week, I released a new Patreon episode, and as promised, it explores some of the unlikely cognates of the word hell, all of which ultimately derive from a single Proto-Indo-European root word meaning to conceal. Here's what the contributors are listening to. For some of the cognates on our list, the semantic connection to a root meaning to conceal isn't too difficult to see. A hole conceals what you put inside of it, a helmet conceals a head, and a holster conceals a gun or a knife or whatever it's designed to hold. Of course, hide is a synonym for conceal, so there's the connection there, and to conceal itself derives from this ancient root word as well. So, if you'd like to get access to that, you know what to do. I'd like to thank Joseph, Marcus, Veith, Lisa, Josh Wynn, Josh Dunn, and Jose for their recent contributions. Okay, let's get on to today's show. If you're a regular listener of Words for Granted, then you've spent the last four months learning all about biblical linguistics with me. Although the series is over now, I chose the topic of today's episode as a sort of epilogue for it. As the title of this episode suggests, that topic is the word secular. In today's world, secular basically means the opposite of religious. It doesn't necessarily mean opposed to religion, but rather unaffiliated with religion. We have secular buildings, secular holidays, secular laws, and so on. All it means is that these things have no religious ties. The noun secularism is used for the intellectual paradigm that avoids all religious precepts. Having spent the last four months focusing on religious words, I thought it would be a nice palate cleanser to look at the one word that literally means unreligious. Except, surprise, it didn't always mean that. Secular derives from the Latin word seculum, which roughly translates as generation or fixed span of time. I'll be using that word quite a bit in this podcast, so from here on out, I'll be sticking with the anglicized pronunciation seculum. So let's begin our look at how this formerly time-oriented word came to be redefined as a worldview devoid of religion. Now, Fixed span of time is a very vague definition, but I've defined seculum that way because the precise length of that fixed span of time was variable over the course of ancient Roman history. I should note up front that the whole concept of the seculum was not invented by the Romans themselves, but borrowed from the Etruscans, a neighboring ethnic group on the Italian peninsula. That's all well and good, but what, more precisely, was a seculum? 
Well, there were two kinds, the natural seculum and the civil seculum. Originally, the natural seculum occurred in intervals of 110 lunar years. You can think of a seculum as an ancient way of denoting a century, but with an extra 10 years added onto it, and calculated according to a lunar calendar, not a solar calendar. Basically, it was a way of keeping track of long periods of time, and indeed, the Romans and Etruscans viewed history in terms of seculums the way that we view history in terms of centuries. Although the calculation of 110 years may seem a little arbitrary, like why not use a nice round number like 100 instead, the actual function of the natural seculum shouldn't strike us as that strange. But it wasn't just a division of time. Each new seculum was supposed to be ushered in by favorable supernatural signs and commemorated by a priest. I wonder how often that worked out. Furthermore, ancient superstition held that the gods had allotted each race of people a specific number of seculums before they would be conquered and wiped off the face of the earth. For example, the Etruscans believed that the gods had given them ten seculums, or 1,100 years. Just for the record, the ancient Greeks used the word aeon to keep track of time in a similar way. This, of course, is the root of the modern English word aeon, which means a very long span of time, usually of mythical proportions. So that was the natural seculum. Now let's look at the civil seculum. This was determined by the longest human life from the point at which a town or city was founded, and this custom is indeed a little strange. After the person with the longest life died, the current civil seculum would end and a new one would begin. The length of the new civil seculum would be determined by the person with the longest life born on the year that the previous seculum ended, and this pattern would continue indefinitely. It sounds a little confusing, but it was basically a way of keeping track of when an entire population of people had died and the population had been renewed. Apparently, the fixed duration of the natural seculum was derived from the length of the Etruscans' first civil seculum. That is to say that of all the children born in the year that Etruria was founded, the oldest of them lived to be 110. This seems unlikely given the life expectancy in the ancient world, topped off by antiquity's love for exaggerating numbers. So, take this with a grain of salt. As I already mentioned, the length of the Roman natural seculum was not agreed upon by the ancient authors. Some, such as Censorinus, claimed that it was as few as 30 years, while others, such as Varro, claimed that it was 100 years. In later Roman times, the hundred-year seculum became the most popular calculation, and for this reason, the Romance languages derive their word for century from seculum. In Italian, it's secolo, in Spanish, it's siglo, and in French, it's siec. In Norwegian and Swedish, the word for century is sekel, and this derives from seculum as well. The English word century sounds like it could be derived from cyclum, but it actually isn't. It's derived from the French word centurie, a derivative of the Latin centuria, 
which was used to describe a group of 100 things. For instance, a hundred Roman soldiers were collectively called a centuria. Apparently, Old French use centurie to refer to a group of 100 years, but this eventually fell out of usage. However, this older French convention entered the English language after the French-speaking Normans invaded England in 1066, and unlike its decline in French, it stuck around in English. The single word century is actually a shortening of the phrase a century of years. The Latin word for the actual number 100 is centum, which obviously is cognate with centuria, and this passed into French as cent. From the French cent, English got the word cent, which is one hundredth of a dollar. A bit tangential, but all worth knowing nonetheless. Anyway, let's get back to seculums. One of the most important aspects of the seculum in Rome was the ludi seculares, or in English, the secular games. Here, the word secular has nothing to do with its modern sense of non-religiousness, but rather pertaining to the seculum. Ironically, the secular games were partly a religious celebration. As one might expect, the secular games were a series of athletic events performed in honor of the renewal of the natural seculum. The secular games included not only games, but also ritual sacrifices to pagan gods, parades, theatrical performances, poetry readings, music, and so on. Running nonstop for three days straight, it was the party of the century. Literally. The tradition of the secular games is rooted in a mythical origin story that places the first celebration in the 6th century BCE, but we only have historical attestations of the games beginning in the 3rd century BCE during the Republic period. The written record tells us that the games were celebrated in the 240s and 140s BCE and then became dormant until their revival in 17 BCE by Augustus, Rome's first emperor. This readjusted the cycle of the subsequent seculums to 88 and 204 CE. However, in order to celebrate the 800th anniversary of Rome, the Emperor Claudius held a secular games event in 47 CE, which led to the establishment of a different cycle of seculums than that established by Augustus. The Claudian cycle resulted in subsequent games in 148 and 248 CE. As you can see, this whole business of calculating seculums wasn't a neat and tidy affair. The seculum as we have studied it thus far is a product of a pagan worldview. After Rome was Christianized, its Christian emperors did away with the secular games, which was a very unpopular move, by the way, but the concept of the seculum as a measure of years still lingered on. After all, keeping track of large chunks of time is undeniably useful, even without the excessive pagan celebrations. So, the concept of the seculum remained, but by the medieval period, it was given a Christian spin. At this point in history, Christian theologians had developed the idea that God existed outside of time. In other words, God was eternal, and the way that we human beings understand time just doesn't apply to God. So, cyclum came to mean the temporal age, in other words, time in the world as we mere humans know it. 
Cyclum was framed as a contrast for eternity. It became eternity's conceptual foil. This usage can be glimpsed in a line from Dies Irae, the famous medieval Latin hymn. It contains the line, quote, Dies Irae, Dies Ila Soluet Cyclum in Fawila, end quote, which translates to something like, the day of wrath that will dissolve the age to ashes. Here, Cyclum is translated as age. Other translations of the hymn have rendered it as world. Neither of these one-word translations quite gives the word its appropriate context, but given what we've discussed, perhaps the best translation is a combination of the two. Like, the day of wrath that will dissolve the age of the world to ashes, or maybe the day of wrath that will dissolve the worldly age to ashes. By the 18th century, a lot had changed in Europe. Several seculums had come and gone, and the once impregnable status of the church had begun to decline thanks to new ideas espoused by Enlightenment thinkers. The Enlightenment, of course, was all about scientific rigor and rational thinking, as opposed to religious devotion and faith. You might call the Enlightenment a secular movement, according to our modern sense of the word, but that's not what they would have thought of themselves, simply because the word secular wouldn't emerge in this sense until a century later. The term secularism, and its adjectival form, secular, was introduced in 1851 by a British writer named George Jacob Holyoke. The ideas of secularism itself, that is, ideas belonging to a non-religious social order, weren't exactly new. In fact, there are secular ideas and philosophical schools as old as Epicureanism and Stoicism, but there was no word for these ideas as such. Though he opposed Christianity as a worldview, Holyoke's notion of secularism wasn't hostile. According to him, quote, Secularism is not an argument against Christianity. It is one independent of it. It does not question the pretensions of Christianity. It advances others. Secularism does not say there is no light or guidance elsewhere, but maintains that there is light and guidance in secular truth, whose conditions and sanctions exist independently and act forever. End quote. This quote goes on a bit longer, but I think you get the idea. Secularism is simply an alternative worldview to a religious one. I'd like to point out the irony of the line about conditions and sanctions that exist independently and act forever, since the Christian notion of the term secular was defined as precisely the opposite of existing and acting forever. But Holyoke is talking about a different forever than a supernatural eternity. He's talking about the forever of here and now, as long as here and now continues to exist. With this clarification, both the Church and Holyoke basically define secularism as the same thing, but from different points of view. Indeed, Holyoke believes that secularism concerns the temporal age, again, the here and now, which is exactly how the Church defines it, but the difference is that Holyoke's definition removes the contrast between here and now and an eternal God. From the 20th century onward, secularism has become one of the most predominant philosophical movements in the world. 
It's the ideological identity of many humanist and humanitarian organizations, and phrases like secular state and secular ethics are part of our political lexicon. This, of course, has politicized the term secular itself, especially in American politics. Some fundamentalist groups have accused secularism of being synonymous with things like atheism and nihilism. While, yes, I'm sure that there are plenty of atheistic and nihilistic secularists out there, that fact shouldn't come at the expense of obscuring the meaning of secularism itself. I mean, this podcast takes a secular approach to historical linguistics. And it's a good thing it does, too. The early field of historical linguistics in Europe applied a biblical worldview to its studies, such as, this son of Noah created that language family, and that son of Noah created this language family, and they basically got everything wrong. Which leads me to think, the early history of historical linguistics would be an awesome thing to cover in a future episode. Okay, that's it for this one, guys. Once again, if you love the show, I'd like to remind you that you can sign up to support my work on Patreon. If that's not in your budget, you can still show your support by leaving a positive review and rating on Apple Podcasts, aka iTunes, or your podcast directory of choice. My Twitter handle is at Words for Granted. I'm on Facebook as Words for Granted, and you can email me directly with questions, comments, and concerns at wordsforgranted at gmail.com. Have a great day. I'll catch you guys next time here at Words for Granted, where we'll be beginning a brand new mini-series. I promise it's going to be a good one.